of James chapter 1. This is God's word for us this morning. Thank you guys for leading us as we get to sing to and about our Lord and his things. We're grateful for the work that you guys put into it to help us to sing in this way. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You may be seated. Father, there's no word like your word. We're grateful that we could have your word. And now as we consider this word that we've just read, Father, we are asking for the presence of your spirit to be at work in our midst. That we would not merely receive some information from these words, but that your spirit would transform us through these words. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we began looking at the book of James last week. And uh, this morning we now pick up in verse 2. And we will look at verses 2, 3, and 4. Now, one of the things that I want to note early on about the book of James, I'm just going to give you a heads up, is that uh, James has the highest ratio of imperatives or commands uh, and, and to uh, total words than any other book in the New Testament. For instance, the, the book of Romans, 16 chapters, and yet you don't get till chapter 6 before you hear the first command or imperative in the book of Romans. Well, here we're in verse 2, and in our verses this morning, 2, 3, and 4, we are going to get the first and second command or imperative. So James is going to be loaded with imperatives. He doesn't spend a lot of time explaining things. He spends bulk of his time exhorting us or directing us or commanding us. And there are two commands in our verses this morning which really form the two points of our message this morning. First, I want us to look from verse 2 at what I'm calling a positive assessment of trials. We're commanded to have a positive assessment of trials. And then uh, we will look at the second command, which is, will be there in verse 4. And uh, I labeled that a potential achievement from trials, a potential achievement from trials. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I got new glasses, and uh, these are not going to be preaching glasses. So I, I, uh, uh, I can see you with those glasses, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, but if push comes to shove, I'm going to have to see my notes rather than you. So, so my notes now are clearer, and you're now fuzzier. And that's just the way it's going to be for this morning. I will repent, and next Sunday I will put on my old glasses 
so that I could see both you and um, the, the notes. <laughs> oh, the trials of aging. Speaking of trials, that's... That's, that's, what we're, that's what James is starting out in discussing. There, he's referring to the second part of verse 2, trials of various kinds. Hmm. So what kind of trials is James talking about? Doesn't matter. He's talking about every kind of trial. He's talking about any kind of trial. This is one of the ways that the Word of God helps us is that it is always framed for us in such a comprehensive way so that wherever, uh, where, where, wherever you and I might be this morning in terms of our experience of trials, the Lord has given us a sure word for those trials. It could be relational. That could be the subject matter of your trials. It could be circumstantial. It could be financial. I had to bring it up, didn't I? It could be situational. It could be personal. It could be physical. And, and even as the book of James unfolds, James itself um, will um, discuss several kinds of particular trials that will be the subject matter of uh, throughout uh, throughout this book. In fact, some of the particular trials that James will explicitly allude to include issues, um, categories of trials that, that today we might even call systemic or social injustices. So no matter, but no matter what kinds of trials uh, that we would be experiencing or facing in particular, uh, J James has a word for us. Or to look at it from another way, uh, what he says in verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith. So, so any kind of trial, every kind of trial that is a kind that would, quote unquote, test our faith, our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the kind of trials that would rattle us and shake us, the kind of trials that really get to us, the, the kind of trials that affect us profoundly. That's the kinds of trials that James is alluding to or talking about. And the first command he gives to us concerning these trials is how we are to respond to these trials, a part of our response to these trials. And what does he say out of the starting blocks? First command, verse 2, count it all joy. Hmm. In other words, this command here is calling us to render a personal judgment about the trials that we are going through the trials that we are facing. We are to evaluate or assess whatever trial that we're going through. We're to assess it uh, to be all joy, not just joy, not just a little bit of joy, but all joy. I, I take that to mean that, that it's, uh, he's talking about an intensified joy. Are you kidding me? A pure joy, an undiluted joy is the kind of response that we are commanded to have in the face of the trials, no matter what kind, 
that we are facing. I mean, the kinds of trials that are easy to consider joy is the kinds of trials that you're going through. I just don't see them as that big of a deal. Do you? Well, yeah, you do. That's the problem, isn't it? And, and you would look at me and say, well, Joe, Joe what, a, what a baby. He, he, he's got a hangnail again, and he's all... Uh, no, no, he's saying to us individually, whatever kind of trial we are facing, which always looms large in our own experience, uh, he's saying that what I'm directing you to do, the command issued to you, is to render a personal assessment concerning that trial that you're going through to be that of pure joy. Be happy. Be glad in the face of trials. Well, let me, let me say three things in reference to this command to be joyful in the face of trials. First thing I would say is don't make this one verse the only thing that could be said about trials in our response to trials. James does not intend to say that this is the only thing that we should feel. I think he has to give us a particular command to feel and regard it this way because uh, this, this is not an instinctive response to trials. We, we can and we even should feel lots of things in the face of trials, namely sorrow, hurt, pain. I would suggest what James is doing is he's encouraging us to think about our trials and the response to our trials with a, not a simplicity, but with a complexity. Now, in other words, uh, uh, we, we can feel multifacetedly as a, a part of a faithful response to our trials. Paul helps us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, about the complexity, even the paradoxical uh, assessment of our trials. He talks in the context of trials in 2 Corinthians 6, 10, he talks about being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Can you do both at the same time? I was working with my grandkids uh, a, 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 a little while ago, and I was I was trying to show them my uh, 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 my ability to be ambidextrous or whatever you call that thing. Uh, I was sh showing them that we you could do two different hand motions, different opposite hand motions at at the same time. That you could rub your belly and pat your head at the same time. Y'all try that. See that it's it's not as easy as it looks. You have to like train yourself to do that. You know. Because you, while you're rubbing your belly, you want to rub your head, or while you're patting your head, you want to pat your belly. Uh, anyway, so as it pertains to trials, which yeah, yeah. Um, hearts can be both broken and hopeful simultaneously. I say that because we need not feign 
indifference to the hurts and the pains and the sorrows of trials. James is not asking us, nor do the scriptures ask us to be stoics about these things. Second thing that I could say about James' command is this verse need not be the first thing we say to other people in their trials. In fact, it might even be better that when you go to come alongside someone in their trials, maybe the first thing would be to not say anything at all. Just sit there and cry with them. Because we're to weep with those who weep. Then when it is fitting, good, wise to say something, uh, then still maybe then the first thing said still isn't, count it all joy. Hey, Joe, I've got cancer. Let's throw a party. Hey, Joe, I, I've just lost a loved one. Ah, that's great. High five me. This is, this is not what we're talking about here. The kind of joy that's being expressed here and, 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 and that is admonishing us here uh, it, it need not be dispensed in trite or cliche-ish fashions. If you do that and I find out about it, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to open a massive trial on you. I wish I could but I can't, so. In other words, sometimes even when we must say something, maybe what we should say is perhaps not even a command or an imperative at all, but a promise, an assurance. And let me illustrate what I mean by that. If you come alongside somebody in their trials and in their sufferings, it certainly is appropriate that maybe at some juncture to give them a command, such as, trust the Lord. Count it all joy. But perhaps maybe a better method, a better strategy would be to first say, not a command at all. Not a command, trust the Lord, but just an assurance. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is will be with us. Different kinds of sentences. What I'm not saying is that you should never say count it all joy. I'm just saying I don't want you to mistake what, uh, what is being called for here, and that is that this need not be the first thing we would say to someone else. This is God's word for you. A third thing I would say about this notion of count it all joy. Uh, 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 James, uh, James is calling uh, uh, not for us to find joy in the trial itself. But James is asking us to take an assessment of 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 a response of joy that is rooted in grasping the purpose behind 
the trials. So that, not the trial itself, but the whole package, the occasion of the trial is nevertheless a reason to rejoice. Let me just say this. James, again, I underscore this. James is not asking us to be out of touch with reality, to be unfeeling to the hurts and pains and sorrows of trials and of life. But, but neither, this is where James is going to push on us here, but neither is James allowing us to simply let our normal native responses to be the only responses. I know how to do sorrow in the face of trials. You don't have to talk to me about that. But to direct me to count it pure joy in the face of trials, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to walk me through that one. I, I, I just don't quite get that. But you understand, just because I don't get something, just because something doesn't feel natively normal to us, doesn't mean it's not true and real. And, and what James is trying to explain to us is in verse 3, as verse 3 goes on, um, is that uh, for you know, what, how can we count it all joy? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What James is helping us to grasp is that there certainly is the trial, uh, but then there is a divine purpose connected to that trial. And that divine purpose for God's people is that trials are leveraged for the production of steadfastness or endurance in our lives. And so, uh, not because of the trial itself, but because of God's good designs connected to that trial, we can rejoice. We can, we can um, um, run against the grain, if you would, of our natural response. Our natural response would be to depress. But James is directing us to rejoice. Now, more will be said even in the verses to follow to, to have such a uh, coherent response of rejoicing rather than simply a unilateral response of depressing. We, we, need, uh, we, we need perspective well, that's next week. Sorry, it's a cliffhanger. You've got to come back next week uh, to see how we would obtain the wisdom needed uh, so that we would grasp that there is the thing, there is the trial, and I know how to respond depressively to that, but then there is the purpose, the divine intention connected to that trial, and that enables me to think about responses of rejoicing. Now, and you know what, this is, not a, this is not one of these obscure flukes in the scriptures. Um, this is kind of standard uh, situational responses to the subject matter of trials. Uh, Paul in Romans 5, 
verses 2 and 3, it says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance. Sounds like he's borrowed from James. Well, they were friends. And, and, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and, and hope does not put us to shame. Or uh, what Peter would say in 1 Peter, he says it elsewhere as well, Peter is chock full of stuff about trials and suffering and our responses to them. But one particular way he says it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you. I, I think if, there's a, if there is a tag uh, that would be indicative of our own cultural moment, uh, and and, and that, that is, we operate under the assumption uh, that, um, well, if we belong to Jesus, we should never have a hard row to hoe, uh, that it should be sweet and easy. And, um, and, and so we are ill-prepared for when the sufferings and trials do come, and, 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 and we are shocked and surprised when we hear bad news. When the doctor says it's serious. When the situation seems bleak. When the incline is steep. When the road is rocky. We're not sure what to do with that because we're not sure we're even supposed to be there. But he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> Here's what Peter says after this. But rejoice. Isn't that what James says? Isn't that what Paul says? There's a consistent apostolic witness here. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So, so rejoice now and boy, there's a whole bunch of more rejoicing to come. So the quick and skinny of this, what James is saying to us in verse 3 in terms of the purpose as to why we could even uh, have a categorical uh, entity called count it all joy is that um, the Lord purposes trials in our lives to bring about Christian character development and spiritual maturity. Now, boy, that, that's so easy to recite because you know what? It's been a good week for me. And I really anticipate, I hope, it's going to be a good week for me. I'm getting on a plane this afternoon, and I'm flying to Kiowa. And uh, that just seems like a nice place to hang out for a few days. president was there last month. I'm coming this month, so we'll see if I get as much press. But. It's one thing to have a category, as important as it is to have a category. It's another thing to comply with that category when it is most needed. You see, that's why it's so important for us to know God's word in advance of things. It doesn't, doesn't make it automatic. I, I, I've known plenty of things that I ought to have done, uh, and, and yet when the moment comes, 
But boy, where would I be without having the prior knowledge of what God directs me to do in this scenario and in this situation? So we have to have this category that, 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 that the Lord's purpose, that, that the Lord um, uh, has not designed our spiritual development and our spiritual maturity to be pain-free. There is, in fact, no pain-free path to maturity. Uh, I, I think that's pretty much applicable to lots of other situations in life. I, I mean, you look at me and you say, Joe, how did you get to be such massively strong with those biceps and those pectorials? I mean, that took a lot of pain. Of uh, Well, anyway. Uh, so in, in multi-facets of life, uh, that it, 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 growth and progress require pain. And, and, and what P James is trying to give us a category to hang our experiences on is that uh, the Lord um, uh, is, is not, that the Lord is not intending to cause us to waver in our confidence in him the lord our trials are not meant to suggest that the lord has turned against us in fact far from that he has turned toward us the lord loves his people and the lord loves his people so much that he wants his people to look like his well-loved son and yet to get someone like me <laughs> to ever increasingly begin to look more and more like Jesus, whew. And in the Lord's goodness, he knows the trials that I need. He knows the difficulties that I need. And even if the devil has a hand in the trials that assault us, even if there's a host of other meanies uh, that have a hand in the trials that confront us, then part of what James is saying to us is, and so does the Lord have a hand in this. And he has nothing but a good purpose in allowing trials to go forward in our lives, to land on our lives, and to even linger longly in our lives. For our response is to turn to the Lord and not talk to the devil. For the devil is just carrying out his own instructions from the most high God. See, part of, part of the thing behind the thing, part of how we get to the point where we could even have a category of count it pure joy uh, when you face various trials is it, it's really an interpretive challenge. We, we, know, we know the devil is after us. We, we know that this person or that person is after us. We, we, and, and, and yet, do we also have an interpretive category of, but we know we are in the Lord's hands. And his decreed purposes in these trials is not to hurt 
in so far as harm, but to hurt in so far as to form and to shape. So then he goes on in verse 4 with his second command. The second command now kicks in, and while James gives the broader command of count it all joy, uh, James is now secondly concerned that in light of what he's just told us, that God has good purposes to shape us, to mold us, to mature us, to form us into the image of his son. And so his second command, short and sweet, uh, is a concern that we not waste what God intends to accomplish through the trials that he sends our ways. And he says it very simply in verse 4, and let, the command is to let, let steadfastness, so, so, so our trials are designed to produce steadfastness, so let that steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect, incomplete, lacking in nothing. Let, it, it, I would suggest to you, is, is the language of engagement, not passivity. Uh, let is chalked full of response-fullness, not resignation. In other words, what James is really suggesting to us is that the, the trials that God has ordained us to go through, uh, uh, that he has designed those trials and the full benefit of those trials to be connected to a... a, 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 a a cooperative response from us. There is a place for cooperation if trials, outcomes are to result in maturity. Now, heads up, a couple weeks away, uh, but Lord willing, we'll get there. The word for trials here in verses 2, 3, and 4 uh, will show up again in verses 13 to 14, although, and rightfully so, in verses 13 to 14, while it's the same word that James uses, uh, the context helps us to know that he's differentiating between trials and uh, what he will say in verses 13 to 14, temptations. In other words, uh, the, Lord, the Lord's intent behind our trials is Christian growth, but out of our own heart response to that trial, that thing which is otherwise a temptation a trial designed by God to produce maturity can become a temptation to sin against the Lord because of the heart posture of our own responses. So James is clear. It's simple. So when you face trials, let them have their full effect. Let them do what God is intended for them to do. Or let me frame it this way. Here's a brief autobiographical statement of not letting steadfastness have its full effect. You know, trials haven't done me a bit of good. My, my heart has grown bitter to the persons entangled in this trial I have become overwhelmed with fear due to the attacks of the devil. I have grown cold toward the Lord, resisting 
the promptings to seek him in his word and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers, my heart is overrun with anxiousness for my situation. That is an example of a denial of the command to let steadfastness have its full effect. Those attitudes and dispositions autobiographically just simply indicate that I have resolved to say, no, I won't let steadfastness have its full effect. This is what it looks like. This is the kind of response that is stimulated because we refuse to let the command, we refuse to obey the command to let. I won't let it. I won't stand for the Lord sending me these trials and then telling me to stand firm in the strength that he provides. No, I won't let it. I'm not having this. I want my pleasures. I want my pleasantries. I want my plans. I want my dreams. I want my desires. In a couple more verses, James will explain what that looks like. He says, and the double-minded man won't receive anything. What do you want? Do you want your pleasures? Do you want your pleasantries? Do you want your plans? Do you want your dreams? Do you want your designs? Or could all of that be trumped by something far greater and sweeter? You simply want to be shaped into the image of Jesus. If that's what you want, then let steadfastness play itself out. Let it, let it produce all that it intends from God's hands to produce. How do you do that? Well, you accept it, you yield to it, you surrender to it, you submit to it, but most of all, or chiefly of all, you rejoice. Because what James is saying by converse is that if you don't let it, then very well, you and I will always be lacking. We will always be incomplete, which I think in that context really means immature. We will never be, the other word he uses here is, Perfect, which I don't think he means by that sinless. But I think what he does mean by that is more fully devoted to the Lord and to his purposes. So let it. Let the trials by divine assignment produce the steadfastness that God has designed those trials in our lives to produce. Let it. Let it produce the steadfastness 
that we may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. And I'll close with this. How do we let it? We let it by looking. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to look. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured uh, from sinners such hostility against him, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We let steadfastness have its full effect by looking to the one who modeled before us uh, how to let steadfastness have its full effect. We look to the one uh, who, in the testings of our faith, is the very one who is the author, the originator, and the completer or perfecter of our faith. We look to our dear Savior who suffered and bled and died, and, and now we belong to him. Our life is now hidden uh, with him in God, and, and, now, and, and now that resets how you and I would not only face and the reason that we would face, and therefore the response. See, in Philippians chapter 1, we are told that faith in Christ is a gift. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, we're told that faith is not the only gift that we get. It's not only been given to us to believe in Jesus, but it's been given to us to suffer in Jesus. And that's part of the curriculum of God's divine good purposes that someone like me, someone like us, might grow up into Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has rescued us from our sins and in so doing has given us a whole new trajectory of life who has reset all purposes and designs for our life who will even design difficulties and trials and sufferings not to, not to harm us, but to shape us in the image of his son. Oh, Father, help us to bring these things to mind when the bottom drops out. And may we honor you by rejoicing and by letting. For we pray this in Christ's name. Let's stand and sing.